0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, October 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, new polling this week shows a slight lead for Tate Reeves in the race for governor. But with Jim Hood still in striking distance, here are the pollsters' analysis of the race. Then we're talking public education with the candidates for lieutenant governor. And performer, designer, and artist Nick Cave talks to us about his new exhibit opening in Jackson. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Republican Tate Reeves and Democrat Jim Hood are in a tight race for the Mississippi governor's seat. But according to a new poll released this week, Reeves has a slight edge over his opponent. The poll from Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy shows the two major party candidates are strongly divided along racial lines. Hood leads 80 percent to 7 percent among African-American voters. Reeves leads Hood by a margin of 66 percent to 24 percent among whites. Brad Coker is is the managing director of Mason Dixon and talks about the race.
1: First of all, it's, it's close. Uh, it's uh, obviously uh, contested, but uh, it's uh, also interesting that uh, the race may be turning from a locally oriented race into a sort of nationally driven race.
0: What are the implications to to make it a nationally focused race?
1: Well, uh, if you look at ha- what happened in Louisiana a couple weeks ago, uh, President Trump came in very late. Uh, he's very popular there. There's opposition to impeachment. And uh, he basically rallied the Republican turnout, uh, which kept incumbent Democrat, uh, John Bell Edwards, well below 50 percent, forced him into a runoff. And uh, the two Republican candidates combined got 52 percent of the vote. Uh, so he was very effective at, uh, you know, turning out Republican voters and sort of uh, freezing the Democratic candidate where he was. If you look at the poll numbers in Mississippi, they're, in terms of Trump, they're very similar. Uh, strong approval uh for the job that he's doing strong opposition to impeachment and uh the democratic candidate uh, Jim Hood in, in many ways is uh you know very similar to governor uh, Edwards down in Louisiana uh sort of a you know more conservative uh democrat than uh than average
0: and again president trump is coming as you said, in Louisiana, it was late. It's late here as well. He's coming, uh, just a few days before the general election. I found it rather interesting. I wanted to ask you about this. He's coming to Tupelo in North Mississippi where Reeves leads Hood by quite a bit. In Eastern Mississippi, uh, Hood leads Ray- Reeves by a little bit. Wouldn't it be beneficial to have the president come to a part of the state where reeves is uh, has fewer support or fewer votes less support
1: that's used to be the conventional wisdom, uh, but what we 're seeing right now uh, the way politics are not just uh, in Mississippi but all over the country, is that these are you know base driven votes it's more about turning out your supporters than it is persuading other voters to switch candidates. Uh, you know, people seem to have dug their heels in on one side or the other. And it's really because these, these races have become turnout battles. And that's what happened in Louisiana. Uh, President Trump didn't change any minds. He just got more like-minded voters to go out and vote on on their Saturday uh, primary.
0: Let's talk about methodology for a moment. Uh, Jim Hood says your poll was weighted with too many republicans how did you choose your sample and why
1: well there's no party registration in mississippi so you know there is no way to measure you know how many quote unquote republicans there are but keep in mind we're we're surveying people who are likely to vote in a general election and uh, so any percentage that someone would argue uh had a higher percentage of this group or that group, uh, you, you can't really measure it because it's not registration, it's, it's turnout. Um, so, you know, there may be more Republicans in the, in the sample than average. I'm not saying that there is, but that might reflect, uh, you know, more interest on the part of Democratic voters uh, or Republican voters and make them uh, more likely to turn out.
0: Well, also, there are many more Republican voters in Mississippi.
1: Yeah, I don't I I don't think the sample in in a large way. Uh, is inaccurate. I think, you know, you can argue within the margins that, well, you know, we should have had another percentage point or two of African-American voters or a percentage point or two less African-American voters. When you take the numbers and you do little adjustments like that, it rarely changes anything more than about a half a point when you get up to the top statewide numbers. Uh, so it, those things, those things get over magnified than than they really are. Uh, but I think you know the demographics of the survey sample match pretty closely the demograph the demographics of other surveys we've done of what exit poll data has shown.
0: One final question for you about President yeah. Trump because yeah. it's a roller coaster of all kinds of things going on in D.C. right now. If impeachment hearings began, say, in the time before he comes, or yeah. other revelations come that would be negative against the president, would anyone in Mississippi be swayed, or are Trump supporters? Trump supporters do or die? Uh,
1: I don't know that that many people would be persuaded by anything coming out of Washington uh, right now just because uh, of the way things are being handled. Um, Both sides, again, have sort of dug in their heels, Republicans defending Trump, Democrats, uh, you know, full-on attack. And, uh, you know, the only effect it might have would be on voter turnout, and it would probably be, you know, uh, pretty much identical on each side. Um, you know, as you said, Trump supporters are convinced that uh, this whole thing in Washington is being drummed up, and Democrats are convinced that, you know, he, he he's a crook and he needs to go. So uh, there, there's very little middle ground there.
0: That's quite a divide. Brad Coker is the managing director of Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy. Thank you so much for your insight on this. Thank you. Coming up, we're talking public education with the candidates for lieutenant governor. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Candidates in the race to be Mississippi's next lieutenant governor are sharing their plans for improving public education in the state. In a moment, we'll hear from Democratic candidate Representative Jay Hughes. But first, Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman is the Republican nominee. He talks about his priorities with Wilson Stribling of MPBs at issue.
2: Well, we have a pretty large one. We're going to start with uh, teachers' pay raises every year. For some reason, we've gotten into a habit of uh, funding them the last year. And what happens is we balance it off the budget at that time, so it gets decreased, quite frankly, the whole education budget does. We're going to fund all of our collaboratives uh, right away. Those are our pre-K collaboratives. There's about 9,000 children that are not in any form of daycare anywhere in Mississippi. And we only funded 19 of those collaboratives last year. So you'll see us fund, I think there were 50 applications last year. I think that's really planting the seeds of the future there, and we need to have pre-K in Mississippi. So we will fund. We'll, you'll see us funding that as well. Then there, we underfunded uh, our, our uh, special kids. Our, you know, they, Our special children really need some assistance, and I think it's about 28, 24 to $28 million to fund special education in Mississippi. Those are my top three priorities to start. Now there are others as we go forward. Now, how, how we pay for them is we have uh, two hundred agency boards and commissions in Mississippi. We want to right size our government, and, and so, so it's really built from the from the individual up, not from the state down. Our our state government is kind of like kudzu isn't and it? it's just spread all over. And uh, I think it's time to go back and look at it. We have asked uh, our, every one of our agencies. We will ask next year to reduce their budget. Uh, by 1%, one cent of every dollar. Now, we'll exclude education from that, child protective services, the judiciary, some some exclusions. But the remaining part of those, by excluding that 1%, we'll be able to give a 3 cents per, uh, per employee, 3% raise to every state employee, and we'll be able to help pay for the things that I've just outlined to you. Just based on the 1% cut. Uh, for 1% cut plus right size in the government. And I I want to give you an example of it. Um, I've cut my budget just about every year I've been there. As Secretary of State. As Secretary of State. And um, our budget this year that I requested was less than the day I started 12 years ago. And I just turned back $1.5 million to the general fund. Uh, We can do that. We can make sure that our, our state agencies are efficient and run efficiently or, and are in their lane, what they're supposed to be doing. So I think you'll see between things like the 1% cut, right-sizing our government, they'll pay for our education, and we have some growth. Obviously, we have growth every year, but we'll be able to pay for all of the things that I just outlined, outlined to you. What about MAEP, the Mississippi mm-hmm. Adequate Education Program? Do you mm-hmm. like it? What would you change about it? What do you think is good or bad about it? I looked at it, and I, I think it's fine. Uh, the problems were we hadn't funded our special kids. We had just we excluded that. And so I I think that's one of the examples of funding we will do. I I don't want to sit here and tell uh, the citizens of Mississippi we're going to fully fund the MAP next year. I'm going to tell you we'll get a lot closer than we did this year, and the next year we'll get a lot closer to that. And I hope by the end of our four-year period that we'll be right on the bucket for funding education fully, not only our special needs kids, but our teachers and the others that are there. Um, We can get there. We'll get there in Mississippi. It's going to take me a little while a year or two to right-size the government. Just hang with me as we go through that process. You you mentioned special needs uh, Mm -hmm. students. What about the uh, special needs vouchers? Your
3: opponent is against expanding that voucher or scholarship program that takes some public school money, gives it to families to go and spend on another private school, perhaps, or another institution that can address their uh, special needs if they believe that institution could do it better. Are you in favor of that?
2: No, I don't think we expand vouchers. I've never really said that. Let me tell you what I am in favor of, and I want to be real clear about this. In many of our schools, we do not have adequate coverage for special needs kids. Autistic children are not getting what is federally mandated by the law. They're supposed to be getting the same things that we get or a program designed so that they can reach their potential. Not only is it federally mandated to me, it's morally mandated. That's what we ought to be doing as a state. Is making sure those children. Every teacher that i talk talked to says it's about the child. So, where a public school is not providing what I think is federally mandated by law or morally mandated by our community by our, our citizens, that child needs to move to another public public school. That does not include a parochial school, uh, which doesn't have that doesn't have the expertise. It doesn't include home schools. It it, it includes schools like Oxford where Whitney has, is awesome, um, Oak Grove and Lamar County, other ones that I've been to that are superior in delivering this kind of service.
0: House Democrat Jay Hughes of Oxford has based much of his campaign on the theme of public education. Pardon me, he outlines his plan to at-issue host Wilson Stribling.
4: It's called 2020 Vision in 2020. How are we going to pay for it? We've got the money in Jackson. We just have the wrong priorities. We'll cut out crony contracts. We'll do what needs to be done. We'll take the lottery proceeds and do the same thing that every other state in the United States did and use those toward education. So what is the, the
3: you said Vision 2020, What's the, what are the nuts and bolts of it?
4: More common sense, less common core, less standardized testing, switching over and getting a waiver from the federal government to allow us to switch to the ACT and work keys for high school graduates or people graduating so that we don't have those end-of-course exams tied to the uh, graduation which is unique only in Mississippi.
3: Do you know how much your proposals will cost and will it cost more than what we're doing now?
4: Well of course it would cost more because we are not fully funding the state-funded education plan which is the Mississippi adequate education program. Uh, There are many places that have been just pure waste or crony deals that contribute to that. Uh, I think of one in particular that uh, they snuck in $1.5 million to a Weight Watchers franchise. They snuck in another $2.5 million to uh, a lady just to hang $3,000 worth of posters. There's a million here, a million there. Sooner or later, you're talking about real money. (laughs) So you think that you can uh, accomplish what you
3: want to accomplish uh, in education with just reorganizing or, or cutting out things that shouldn't be there in the first place. Correct. And through lottery proceeds. Uh, yes, sir. About MAEP, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, is that your goal to fully fund that? Do you think that's a
4: good formula? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Well, no, it's it's a good formula. It's a it's a great start, but it does need some tweaking. You know, we we have not funded it except for two times, and one of the times they clawed it back. When Governor Haley Barber was talking about it in 2008, he said that he wanted to fully fund it and fully fund it every single year because education is the greatest economic incentive that we can do, is have an educated uh, population. The way that we are failing, though, are special needs students and English language learners. We have a lot of ELLs and uh, high poverty. Everyone agrees on both sides of the political spectrum that it costs more money to educate a high-poverty child. Well, Mississippi has the highest poverty rate in the nation. When you underfund local schools, what happens is those that don't have a tax base in their community, they can't raise the taxes, so the schools have... Fewer teachers, older buses, older buildings, less resources.
3: Do you have plans to reduce the opportunity or achievement gap between low-income students and high-income students, white students and black students?
4: Well, I, I disagree that it's white students and black students. There's, there's, a, there's an achievement gap based on income. It may look just that it's a racial issue in certain school districts, but the reality is there's achievement gaps between those, the haves and the have-nots uh... i can speak more clearly about it than most because i'm in oxford and oxford has the highest achievement gap in the state of mississippi uh, I've taught in those schools, I've, I've seen them, and, you know, everyone comes to school with a different set of baggage, you know, nobody knows what's been going on in that family. For some of them, these children might be the babysitter at home, they might be the victim of abuse at home, they might not have a parent at home. We do need to do something different than we're doing to close that achievement gap. One of the key things is making sure that all students, regardless of their district, have access to the same resources. Going back to my district. Every single uh, student in our district gets a Mac computer. I can go one district over and they've only got 23 computers that are old for 280 students that contributes to a greater expansion of the achievement gap. So what do you do about that? You get the proper resources to all the schools. You fully fund MAEP. You stop paying so much to the unfunded mandates and the testing coordinators and this therapist and this counselor, and we get back to educating a child. We, We cut down on all of the testing, the standardized testing, the benchmark testing, the practice testing, and we let teachers teach because nobody knows Those 30 children in that classroom, or 22 or 18, better than a quality teacher at the front of that school class.
0: Jay Hughes is the Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor. Before him, we heard from the Republican candidate Delbert Hoseman. You can hear more from each candidate tonight on a special education-focused episode of MPBs at Issue. It's tonight at 7.30 on MPB-TV or find it online at mpbonline.org. And tune in to Mississippi Edition all next week for in-depth interviews with many of the candidates for statewide office. Coming up, performer, designer, and artist Nick Cave talks to us about his new exhibit opening in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. To call artist Nick Cave's work eclectic is accurate, but at the same time, it isn't enough. Vibrant with color and creativity, Cave's work also asks members of the audience to invest themselves in his artistic process to think about its context. An exhibition of Cave's work, Feet, is opening this week at the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. Nick Cave talks with us about his work.
5: From sculpture to painting to installation to performance. So I'm really sort of working across all genres.
0: How do you think your childhood informed your artistic future? Tell us about your childhood. You know, my childhood, being
5: raised with seven siblings, all boys, All one year apart. You know, right there, we were very connected, very much part of building our lives together and, and being compassionate. But I think it's really parents not getting in the way of what we desire to spend our time doing. I was always making and creating things. I would always make for my mother like every holiday I made her card it would just be such an amazing reaction from just me being creative in that way and so I think that really brought this amazing light to the way in which I work the fact that you can sort of make something and one could be emotionally affected by it in this fantastic way.
0: And as you said, you're a sculptor, a painter, mm-hmm. a dancer, a performance artist. You do installation. How do you decide what you're doing when you're painting? Do you paint for a while, or do you paint and then do performance art and then do a sculpture?
5: You know, what I tend to do is, depending on what the subject matter is, and for me, it's finding the means necessary to support the idea. So it may not work necessarily in a painting as opposed to this idea needs to be developed in a form of a sculpture or, you know, this idea of what I really want to say comes clear in a performance. So it really depends on uh, what's currently going on and how I feel to talk about what's going on politically in the world, country.
0: Describe one of your fabric sculptures. I'm not sure our listeners understand what that is. I would say
5: probably a sound so, for example, you, know, you will find in the exhibition here, there's a sound suit that's made all out of recycled sweaters, where well, we have cut the sweaters up and made these long sort of tubes, which what we call sweater bones, that are then woven back into this sort of web structure, making the surface more dimensional and very root-like organic. A lot of the work in this exhibition is built on sound objects. What will we learn about you through this exhibition? I think there's this drive and this urge and need to use art as this vehicle for change. I mean, it's work that's very, very politically loaded, but at the same time, there's optimism that allows us to navigate and move ourselves
0: forward. Is there a centerpiece, is there a favorite piece that you have in this exhibition?
5: I think it's not that there's a favorite piece, but I think the show... You'll find yourself moving through the exhibition where there are these sort of amazing icons of the moments, these anchored pieces that will force you to want to sort of just stop and sort of take in. So the show is really designed in a way in which I force the audience to move through and really engage themselves in cultural experience. The show opens up with 10 sound suits on this platform. So you just walk into this ah moment.
0: Nick Cave's exhibition is featured at the Mississippi Museum of Art. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning.